Thanks for joining us for season two of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as The Finance Guy, and I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as The Restaurant Guy. Thanks for that kind introduction, Jimmy, and to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. You're welcome for the kind intro, Shatsy. Your mom liked it so much the last time, she told me to do it again. Um, Thanks, So here we are. Well, you're welcome. Listen, we are very excited today to introduce our guest, our friend, and an industry leader, and one of the most influential women in food service, Kimberly Grant. She's co-sponsor and chief strategy officer of Fast Acquisition Corporation. Kimberly is another industry expert who has successfully merged her backgrounds in hospitality and finance. That's my game. Uh, and we can't wait to get this conversation started. So, Kimberly, we're going to let you take the lead. Um, I'll ask that you provide for our listeners a little background about yourself uh, and your company. Great. Well, thank you very much. Well, like the two of you, I've been in the hospitality industry my entire career, and I have background in operations and finance operations first. I started my career as a server in the industry, one of the concepts under Ruby Tuesday back in the early 90s. And my trajectory in my career was basically how lots of restaurant people start as a server, new store trainer, manager, general manager, but I ultimately became a managing partner within Ruby's and invested my own capital in in my early 20s, about $10,000 into a restaurant. I was with Ruby's ultimately uh, 21 years. Um, It took me from about 10 years ago from server to COO of the company. And when I joined, we had about 157 locations. And when I left, we had a little over 800. Um, In 2013, I left uh, Ruby Tuesday to become the CEO of Think Food Group, which is the restaurant group that represents all of Jose Andreas's restaurants. Uh, it's a much smaller company, but there we had everything from food trucks to Michelin two-star restaurants and everything in between. But it really uh, was an incredible, exciting opportunity to get back into the exciting growth phase of a, a restaurant company. And over the six years I was there, I was able to grow the, the revenues of the company over six times from where I started and did a lot of that through opening some you know, innovative type of concepts, a 35,000 square foot food hall and a 20,000 square foot restaurant in Disney World and and just had a lot of fun doing it. Most recently, uh, I joined in early part of this year, the spring of this year, uh, a SPAC, an industry SPAC called Fast Acquisition Corporation. And now I'm serving there as uh, one of the founding investors, sponsors and the chief strategy officer. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that, Kimberly. And uh, thanks for that introduction. From one operator to another, and I will say, I mean, you were a server. Uh, you started out very early in your career, as you said, as a server. Jimmy and I were both bartenders early on in our career. Love the bartending, so we can relate to you for sure. You shared a little bit about your uh, career at Ruby Tuesdays and Think Food Group, and you're transitioning now uh, out of, not really out of hospitality, but slightly moving more towards, let's say, finance and this the, your fast acquisition corp. Can you just give us a little bit? Uh, a little bit about what that's like and and a little bit about the Fast Acquisition Corp? Sure. I'll, I'll start with the finance part of it. You know, when I was at Ruby's, I actually moved in the finance department for about six years. I was the controller there and ultimately was able to get a master's degree in banking and finance while I was there. So, you know, that obviously helped me, you know, in a senior role in a public company. But over the last six years with Think Food Group, you know, I raised over, you know, $100 million in 
growth capital from various sources. So spent a lot of time, you know, doing financing activities and, and what have you as a CEO. And that kind of led me to with the SPAC now, you know, over the summer, we raised a couple hundred million dollars from various hedge funds and investors in order to form the Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation so that we could, you know, have enough capital to effectively buy up to, you know, let's say a billion dollar company and take it public. So, you know, finance has been a, a really important part of my career as an operator, but now as of late, you know, on the public company side, kind of combining all the, the experiences I've had over the last decade. Well, thank you for that, Kimberly. You know, one of the lines I, I love to uh, to say is that it's often easier for someone else uh, to brag about you than, than for you to brag about you. And I, I certainly am not accusing you whatsoever of, of doing any boasting. But I want to take a moment to do the bragging. I mean, Chats is outstanding at bragging about himself, but he's not our guest today. But all kidding aside, um, it's not every day that we get to have someone on our podcast who was not only a COO of a publicly traded company by the time she was 30 years old, but was also listed as one of the most influential women in food service. In a recent study from Nation's Restaurant News, men are in 62% of manager-level positions, while women hold just 38%. Additionally, of the 50 largest chains in the U.S., only three are led by women. So it's even more inspiring to be talking to a woman such as yourself who has not only had a successful career, but also what appears to be a very you know, overall positive experience. So for our listeners, maybe you can share uh, with us your point of view on being a woman in you know, what is clearly an often male-dominated environment. And maybe, you know, and additionally, any advice you could give for women starting out their career in the hospitality industry? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to. I, you know, I think I'll start with, you know, I've never really felt different you know, as a woman in, in business. And I know that may seem strange, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with, I was raised by really strong, you know, grandmothers and mother. One of my grandmothers was a, a restaurant owner and entrepreneur. And, and I think that really set a lot of my mindset and, and, you know, life and in business. I also, you know, played sports really heavily in high school and in college and all, the coaches were mostly women and, and very strong women and great leaders. So, I, you know, from that point, you know, at Ruby's, I was so fortunate to start my career with a founder who was very progressive, Sandy Bell. You know, he, he had women on the board of Ruby Tuesday in the early 90s. Uh, and I think it, it ended up being half of the executive team was women. And it was just normal. It was an inclusive environment from the beginning. It was diverse by design. And so I, I never had this belief that there was any limits to what I could do. You know, if anything, coming up through my career, being young was probably more of a hindrance than being being a woman. Then, you know, just simply because you don't have maturity and wisdom. Um, so it's probably fair. But, you know, I guess my my advice to women would be that first, you always, you know, always believe you belong in the room. You know, second is to, you know, never tolerate being treated differently. Always be confident, no matter how uncomfortable it might feel. You kind of never let them see you sweat, so to speak. And if you're, you ever find yourself in a, a culture that's not inclusive, you should just leave because it's, it's really difficult to change a culture. And it's especially difficult to change a culture that's not inclusive. So there's so many great companies and so many great people to work with and for that I would just say you, you move on and, and find your next adventure. I think the last piece of advice I would give is a lot of really good intentioned people will, and this happens to me to this day, they'll say, 
Kimberly, you know, I'd really like you to mentor this young woman or someone will say to me, you should speak to this other woman executive, you know, have a lot in common. And that, and that's true. But I, I think where the magic comes in mentoring is when women have both men and women mentors and men have both women and men mentors, because I, I wouldn't be who I am had I not had both. And I think, you know, just caution women to make sure they have a diverse group of mentors because they'll pick up different skills and different leadership styles from the confluence of it all. So I think those would be my pieces of advice for, for women who are, you know, in their career early or, or even in their later stages. Hey, thanks for that, Kimberly. I'm going to go on the record and say, I think women are better at everything than men. Uh, (laughs) So just uh, one vote there. A great segue into another question for some advice. With everything going on in hospitality now, COVID has really created a lot of headwinds for operators that are really suffering now. A lot of restaurants have been closed permanently. Some have just reduced their staff. Restaurants have filed bankruptcy. I mean, we, we see the news. A lot of crazy stuff's been going on. A lot of workers, top to bottom, have been laid off. Do you still see this as a a great opportunity for hospitality, for people that want hospitality or in hospitality, stay in hospitality? Is it a great place if you're an executive like yourself? Do you still see opportunity to stay in hospitality or are executives that are running some of these great chains, are they going to flee and go to other industries and we're going to have like a vacuum effect and a lot of great talent is going to leave this industry that we love? You know, listen, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. You know, I'm very enthusiastic about the industry. I mean, not only as an investor, but as a, a leader, you know, things will get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people just have to keep the faith on that. But, but I will tell you whether there's a crisis or not, I think what you have to do in this industry to, to be able to endure is you have to always be curious, never stop learning, always be willing to stretch yourself. And, you know, some of the best lessons I've learned were through recessions and some of the most difficult times running a company. So this, these are the magic moments, you know, when you're you're really putting things in your repertoire for the next crisis. And so, you know, as, as down and difficult and maybe depressing as it can be, just know that this is going to be a time where, you know, you're going to look back and, and have lots of lessons to employ, you know, going forward. I think, you know, one other lesson this is going to give everyone is that if you're in the industry, you need to have diverse experiences, not in just one sector. It's easy to be in fast food and stay in fast food your whole life or mm-hmm. fine dining and stay in fine dining your whole life. But the lines are blurring. And a lot of people ask me when I left Ruby Tuesdays, like, how the heck did you go and lead a you know a Michelin chef type of organization? They're so different. And they are, but they're not. The, the restaurant industry is the restaurant industry. Service is mm-hmm. service. Hospitality is hospitality. Food cost is food cost. Um, you know, clean is clean. Dirty is dirty. I mean, it, it's just different price points, different business models. And so I would encourage people in the industry to not be, before you leave it, try other parts of it. You know, and mm-hmm. it may even be where you go from operations into finance, like I did for a, a period of time, or you you go from, you know, being in a support role to a more hands-on role. I know I talk to a lot of folks who are, you know, kind of taking these skips or they may be a director of operations having to be a general manager now, or they may have been a regional operator and they have to be a director of operations. Uh, you know, put your ego aside and just get to work uh, because things will get better. And those who, you know, put in the work now will, will really reap the benefits later. Yeah, that's some incredible advice. I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for sharing that. 
your resume is just incredible. You've really, you've done so much in, in the industry and continue to, uh, to do incredible things. We haven't really talked about this, but there's another component to you with respect to your resume. With our restaurants, we've been buying food from a, a big company, Performance Food Group. I know that's, uh, I'm pretty sure, a publicly traded company as well. And you're a board member of that company. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about how did that come about that you become a board member and, and what's that like? And, that's a, and, and how do you have time with everything going on in, in your busy schedule to be on the board of Performance Food Group? Well, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I mean, first of all, our industry is small, as you all know. It's very, very small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, while I was at Ruby's, we bought groceries from PFG for over a decade from a, one of the subsidiaries out of Lebanon, Tennessee. And so I first started my relationship with PFG as a customer. And, you know, if, if you've ever been in an in, a restaurant group and you've moved from U.S. Foods to PFG or from Cisco to PFG or PFG to another, it's a massive undertaking. And, you know, I had the pleasure of transitioning 800 restaurants with PFG's leadership team. And it was a it was a dream to be completely honest. They they were just such a customer focused organization, and it was really an improvement to op- the operators' lives making that change. And as you know, that's a really hard thing to get operators to want to do: change who's delivering their groceries. <laughs> the worst. The worst. That's like changing your point of sale system. Exactly. Exactly. But it was a pleasure. And so over the years, I you know I got to know the company and its and its culture, and then it went. Uh, through a transaction and, you know, uh, a business combination and ended up becoming a public company after I had left Ruby's and the new CEO, George Holm, who had come in, was very passionate about having a board member who had a voice of the customer. And so he really sought me out and the board sought me out as a candidate to be able to be that person on the board to bring public company perspective, but the customer, the the voice of the customer. So I joined um, just almost four years ago, the board. And at that time, it was about a $20 billion company. We're now through acquisitions about 30 billion. So it's, it's a fortune 500, pretty large organization. But, you know, I think that being on that board, anybody who's on a board gets two things out of it. One is you obviously hope that your expertise can contribute and be an asset to the organization. That's what boards are there for advice and guidance and all of that. But, but I've also learned a lot, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, strengthening the balance sheet or different treasury management type of um, initiatives or uh, technological advances or recruitment in a difficult workforce, you know, in, in in that particular case, in PFG's case, it's, the warehouse workers and the truck drivers and what have you, we all have our different challenges. So I get as much out of being on that board that I can deploy into my businesses as I hopefully give. And it's, it's been a really great rewarding experience for me. That said, it does take time. And I think you, you know, if you have opportunities to serve on boards, you, you should only do it if you, if you really can dedicate the time and, and be thoughtful because that's what is needed. Big shout out for PFG, everybody, all you operators listening out there. Yeah, and I have to say, I, I, I Kimberly, I so appreciate really the knowledge you're, you're sharing and dropping on, on the audience and really even that last segment. 
the board is a two-way experience, and, and Shatz and I have the privilege through our business of sitting on several, um, and it is exactly that. It's what you need to give to make the company and your interest better, and I do find the learning experience or the, the steep learning curve is what I've always gotten out of it, so I really appreciate you, you highlighting that to the group. You know, just maybe either turning back or even sticking with finance. Um, I want to I jump back into your current role at, at Fast Acquisition Corp. and and you know, talk about SPACs. And for those, for anyone unfamiliar with that acronym, it's Special Purpose Acceptance Corporation. You know, it, it is undeniably um, a great time of change and transformation in our industry. And, and Shatz and I like to say that COVID is, is actually changing very little or maybe even changing nothing, but accelerating everything. Um, and things that, that would have taken years um, in development um, are now being accelerated um, into months. Um, so maybe you can talk about my, my senses with your SPAC. You are seeing this as an opportunity. You're seeing a unique moment in time um, to, to form this vehicle and deploy capital. And maybe you could share a little bit with our audience uh, about that, uh, about your SPAC and kind of what you're looking forward to with this vehicle. Sure. I, I think first, first and foremost, you know, I have the opportunity to work with friends, you know, the, the six of us, We've been together or known each other, you know, for as long as 25 years in some cases. But, you know, working with Sandy Bell and Kevin Reddy and, and Doug Jacobs and the team, you know, we, we kind of had this collection of operator, financial, uh, marketing, branding expertise. And so we, we are doing this back not despite of COVID, but because of COVID. We believe that this, there's an incredible opportunity to invest in great brands and you know, between the the three of us, we've we've opened over two thousand restaurants in the country, and you know we bring a lot of you know experiences, wisdom, you know mistakes, you know everything that we can draw on to help you know to help a company. And so, I think we're we're very focused on taking not investing in a distressed situation. We really want to take a a, a company that is already performing relatively well during this time, but to be able to help them take advantage of the opportunities that are going to present themselves, whether it's, you know, with the, the workforce or the real estate market or, you know, the, the potential for capture of share of wallet because the guests are willing to try new experiences. We feel like that we can help a company accelerate their business plan. And, you know, there's, I think a couple of things that'll be the outcome of, you know, hopefully if we are able to affect a transaction, one is, you know, we'll be able to provide either the founders or the sponsors, if it's private equity, an opportunity to take some money off the table through the, the SPAC business combination. But we also think we'll help to strengthen a balance sheet of a, grow, a growth company and allow them to be able to accelerate their plans um, a little faster than maybe they would have wanted to. What a lot of people don't know is that it's like 47% of companies that go public go f- public through a SPAC. It's, it's not so much of an alternative minority option anymore. It's it's really viable. And I think another interesting fact is the SPACs um, across the industries that are led by operators perform, this is out of a McKinsey study, perform 40% better than those that are you know, led by financial or, or real estate type of, is that a dig? Is that a dig at Jimmy, the finance guy? Maybe a little bit of a dig, but it's because (laughs) it's via McKinsey, but, um, but no operators, it makes sense though, because operators, you know, know the business, they're intimately knowledgeable about the business. And, 
can really, you know, hopefully that translates into selecting uh, a company that's really positioned to grow and, and, and create meaningful shareholder value. Thanks for sharing all that. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking to operators who've been uh, asking about, you know, technology, what kind of tech should they be focused on? Where should they be putting their time and energy and their bandwidth? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, off-prem is a big part and white label delivery solutions and uh, loyalty and engagement. From your perspective and your experience, if you had to give a little bit of advice of a tech stack and what's the most important areas that operators today should be focusing on, what do you think it is? What, where should they be putting their energy and time and, and maybe even capital resources uh, on the technology side? That's a great question. And it's something that I'm, you know, particularly passionate about. You know, I, I think what a lot of us as operators think about 25 years ago when I started in the industry on our P&L, our technology costs were uh, maybe a percent, maybe a one and a half, two percent, mm-hmm. you know, something yep. like that. Now it's become the fourth largest line item on the PL. You go food costs, labor costs, rent, then technology. It's it's really become that, you know, um, you know, big of a an investment for it for us all. Yeah. However, a lot of companies, especially in the restaurant industry, we delay, delay, delay investments in technology. We wait way too long and we cobble together disparate systems that sometimes even make the manager's life worse than better with manual processes and things like we're that. Just, we're just cheap. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if, <laughs> if you've walked into a lot of fast casual places and you see like eight different iPads sitting behind their point of sale system because they have one for Grubhub and one for DoorDash and one for this mm-hmm. and one for that, sure. that's a that's a picture as it speaks a thousand words. It's how yep. we've cobbled together our system. So I think the first I would say is if you're not cloud-based, you need to get cloud-based as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is you need fully integrated systems that play nice with each other. So, you know, if they're not, if you're speaking to a solution or a provider and the question you ask is, are you integrated with, you know, your point of sale, for example, point of sale, right? if they say no, find another provider, oh. or if they say, well, we will be in April, 2021. No, that's, that's called vaporware. Like, right. like you know, so I, I think first cloud-based second, is that it needs to be integrated. The third is it needs to be solution agnostic. So I have favorite point of sale systems or, mm-hmm. or workforce management systems today, but five years from today, they're likely going to be different. Sure. And so you have to have a, 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 a system that if you plug and play one workforce management in or out, that it, it's reasonably mm-hmm. easy to execute. Uh, and I think the, you know, the other filter is anything you deploy should be less administrative time on the management team and hourly teams than more. If it causes more work or if it causes more, um, run the other way. Yeah. Run the other way. Absolutely. (laughs) And then, you know, one advice I've been giving a lot of my friends that are running companies today, CEOs, now's the time. If you're going to switch out, you know, your point of sale system, your inventory management system, or any of your major things you depend on while your dining rooms are closed, now is the time to invest. I know that sounds weird or or maybe um, odd advice, but it's so disruptive to change these things when you're fully operating. No, I now mean, it's, it's great advice, like time. you said. I mean, you're, when you're a little bit slower and your dining room's a little bit off, or like you said, this is a great time to do it. It's great advice. Yeah, but you have to be bullish, right? You have to be, you know, you know, because right now we're all in cash conservation mode and we're trying to, in some cases, stop the bleeding. And so the I think the... 
courage to invest when others are not is what will create the, you know, runway for, you know, advancing, you know, your business post-crisis. Yep, that's that's fantastic advice out there. I have absolutely no right to uh, reference uh, the legendary uh, Warren Buffett, but um, to be to be fearful when others are greedy, and be greedy when others are, are fearful. And I and I don't think uh, anyone on this call or anyone on this uh, this this podcast is greedy, but I think we're long term greedy. Um, and we agree with you. We think this is an amazing time to be deploying capital and doing more in the space. Um, Shatz and I like to say that at the end of the day, how people eat might be different uh, from generation to generation or even state to state. But the fact is the people are going to continue to look for food and beverage and experiences. And as far as I'm concerned, Shatz's kid may eat differently than, than Shatz and I do, and we might eat differently than our parents did. But the fact is people are still eating, uh, drinking, engaging. Um, so we think it's a really exciting time uh, for our industry. So appreciate your uh, your, your opportunistic or your 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 your, uh, your bullish view uh, again on the industry we love. Um, I, I want to bring you into what we call our crystal ball uh, moment. Um, we're going to ask you to put on your Miss Cleo or your Kreskin hat um, and predict the future. Um, so, with you know, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to online ordering and hospitality in general? I didn't take you too far out of the future, but two years and things change quickly in our, in our world. So two years out dining, uh, online ordering and hospitality in general. Yeah, well, I, I think that we've already started to see a preview. You know, one of the things that has become evident is that companies that have had already established other revenue generating channels prior to the crisis were able to take advantage of it. They weren't scrambling to create, you know, online ordering or, delivery platforms and what have you, because they had already started or were, you know, you know, deeper into the initiative and, and they were able to kind of double down on it. But I do think that, you know, two years from now, there's going to be continued more blurring that's going to happen in the industry. And it's not just going to be, you know, this fast casual blurring with casual dining or casual dining blurring with, with, uh, casual plus or fine dining, it's going to be where the boxes are blurring. So if you think about how a food hall today has, quick serve, limited serve, full serve, uh, online takeout, uh, meal kit. It, it kind of had this kind of diverse uh, business model. I think you're going to start to see that in other types of outlets, whether it be in uh, theaters or in uh, sports entertainment complexes, or you see that in uh, hotels. I think the traditional model of having your three meal restaurant, your, your, bar in the lobby and your room service, those are going to get blurred and, and people are going to need different solutions because of, you know, not just health and safety, but also the, the changes that are going to happen in travel and business meetings and, and what have you. So I, I think that's really where two years from now, we're going to see where the lines are going to blur in how we consume and, and source our, our, our nourishment and our experiences. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jimmy and I are fully in agreement. Uh, we all do have to eat and drink. We probably that <laughs> that's not going to change. Just how we do it, where we do it. I agree with you. Hotels, you're probably going to see some changes there. Venues, I agree with everything you said. Great, great insight. One exciting thing too, I think, is you know hopefully some of this alcohol uh, loosening of the regulations. You know, again, keeping safety in mind at all. Mm -hmm. You know, at sure. all levels 
But I think this idea of um, being able to have the restaurant industry being able to provide uh, beverage experiences in this delivery platform is an exciting opportunity. And hopefully that continues to evolve as well. I agree. That's that that is a is a great change, and I think uh, the consumers have really embraced that and like it a lot. Um, and we'll get you back here in two years and see how the crystal <laughs> ball worked for sure. So we'll keep you. Uh, we'll put that on the calendar. Uh, Kimberly, we're going into the branded quickfire section. We're going to ask you five lightning round questions. So don't think too hard. Don't be nervous. Are you ready for the branded quickfire? Bring it. All right. First <laughs> question: Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, if I have to choose Starbucks. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? I'm actually cooking at home tonight. Look at that. Nice. What is your favorite food city in the world? Tokyo. I think we had that. I think our last person said Tokyo, too. I got to get to Tokyo. That's amazing. Favorite place to travel? I'm an adventure mountains outdoors person. So last year I was in the Dolomites. The year before that in British Columbia. So mountains. Love. If you were to challenge Jimmy or I, to a game of hangman, who would you have the better odds of beating? Jimmy. Whoa! <laughs> Look at that. We we we, op- like we operators are survivors, so you know. I like it, Jimmy. I got to tell you, uh, we worked very hard to find a question that somebody would say they could beat me. So <laughs> congratulations to uh, Julie Zucker, our our, our producer, our uh, and our partner. She found a question. They're like, all right, Hangman. All right, I'm taking Jimmy. Taking Jimmy down. I respect it, uh, especially <laughs> your guys' kinship as operators is concerned. Uh, so well, well done. Listen, um, Kimberly, we want thank you so much for joining us, uh, not just on the podcast, but for sharing really some some tremendous uh, insights. Uh, we appreciate your work uh, and everything you do to support the industry, uh, not just during this difficult time, but really, but always. Um, and if you want to get in touch with Kimberly directly, uh, you can email branded at admin at brandedstrategic.com and we'll make sure to pass messages or, or, or your contact information uh, to try to help make introductions to Kimberly. Uh, and to all our listeners, um, we always want to thank you and be mindful that there are so many literally hundreds of podcasts hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there if you to choose to listen to and we greatly value that you choose to listen to us and and be part of our community uh please join us next time as we welcome mr chris webb co-founder and ceo of chow now um you won't want to miss it uh chow now is doing some amazing things uh, it's not going to be as good as this one, though, Jim. I know. Well, I, 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 since we're on the phone with Kimberly right now, I'm going to completely agree with you. But get ready yeah, when, we, when we have when we have Chris Webb on the uh, podcast. Say the same he, thing. He, yeah, we have to say the same thing. But he's going to call us out for that. But anyway, uh, no, Chana's doing some great things uh, in the industry, and you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. You don't miss out on exciting guests and the events we'll be having in the future. And better yet, please invite a friend to hang out with us the next time. So until then, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, uh, signing off. And Mr. Schatzberg. This is the restaurant guy, a.k.a. Shatsy, Hospitality Hangout. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thank you, our guest, Kimberly Grant. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Cheers. 